This is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, December the 11th, 2020, and this is episode 647. We have two segments on this episode. We have a documentary filmmaker who, with two other co-directors, made an incredible document about the first weeks and months of the COVID pandemic, which takes place in, in Wuhan, China, the ground zero of this pandemic and it's it's just incredible how Wu is the guest in the first segment he he was in New York City while his co-directors were in China so he was directing and doing his work from New York City uh, he's a Chinese American it's a remarkable story and and how Wu is is here to talk about it and then in the second segment we have two lovely co-directors actors of a, a new comedy called the Planters, Hannah Leader, and Alexander Kotcheff. We're going to get to that in a minute. I do want to tell you that both films are available right now. You can see both of these films. Uh, How Wu's film, 76 Days, the documentary, is currently at virtual cinemas, uh, including the Film Forum here in, in New York, uh, but it doesn't matter that it's here in New York. You can watch it from wherever you are. You can choose whatever cinema. So I'll tell you a little bit about how Wu's film. I'll give you the synopsis. And then you can select. I'll also tell you how and where you can uh, get the film. Begun just days after the January 23rd lockdown went into effect in Wuhan and filmed without Chinese government approval. 76 Days in it is an intimate experience of life and death inside of uh, four Wuhan hospitals, inside four Wuhan hospitals in the eye of the storm. The first 10 minutes feels like a Hollywood horror movie. Hordes of desperate people storming the hospital, faced by beleaguered medical staff. Chaos, shouting, and tears give way to what becomes the new normal as doctors and nurses, clad from head to toe in hazmat suits, exhibit moving camaraderie with one another and profound compassion for their patients. There's even humor and pathos as a new baby is born, uh, is born, dubbed Little Penguin. A confused elderly patient insists on haunting the hallways looking for a way out, and workers write messages on their outfits like Clay Pot Chicken, I Miss You. The Atlantic Magazine hails 76 Days as both unwatchable and utterly compelling, unvarnished and raw, a first draft of a history that's still being written. Again, you can go to a Film Forum dot org and see it there however you can also go to seven six days com slash watch and there is a list of virtual cinemas all over the country where you can watch this film so choose your local art house cinema however you want to do it but see this film it's so important and what's coming up here is a pretty intense conversation about human suffering and resilience it gets deep and I should also mention that my conversation with Hao Wu, as well as the, the second segment with Hannah and 
Alexandra are both available on the Film Wax Radio YouTube channel, so you can watch either one of those or listen. It's up to you. If you're home and you want to pop on and watch it on the YouTube channel, while you're there, I'll ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you would. Or even if you don't want to watch it, subscribe, because I need subscribers. And since I'm talking about it already, I need subscribers onto the podcast. So if you aren't a subscriber, please do subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you listen to your podcasts with. And maybe if it is Apple Podcasts or Stitcher in particular, I think you can write reviews and those are very, very appreciated. So let's right now get into this first conversation regarding this incredible documentary called 76 Days. I was so pleased to have been able to ha- uh, meet Tao and to have this conversation with him. So thanks for listening. Here it is, only on Film Wax Radio. It's nice to meet you. I don't. We've seen. We've, we've seen. We've met several times at um, at the um, Tom's event uh, in the past. I know I that. Yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, are you saying? <laughs> no, no, I'm are like, you saying like Doc NYC or something? No, no, no. What's that? The series called? He did a series on Tuesdays. Oh, like Stranger Than Fiction became. Oh, Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, you were you were moderating, his... right? A couple, a lot of his, uh, his screenings, I think. Yeah. I don't remember moderating those. Oh. But I take your word for it. Maybe because I, I have, but I moderated, you, you know, over the years. Yeah, lots of uh, screenings, and I was involved with Doc NYC once one year. Yeah. Yeah. About you know some years ago, but were you also? Did you have another earlier feature? Yeah, uh, People's Republic of Desire was at Doc NYC. That was like 2018. Yeah, that was a while ago. Not that yeah. long ago. Not, not, not that long ago. Yeah, I, I know it feels a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, anything pre-COVID is a long, long time ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, talk about quick filmmaking. Uh, when you made this, your documentary, 76 Days, did you think you would be showing it during the pandemic or did you figure that would be kind of already a thing of the past and this would be looking back at this time? Not, I mean, now it's, it's actually is the, still the time. So, you know, 
Have we started? Yeah, sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's the way it goes okay. with my podcast. We kind of <laughs> just right. sort of ease into it naturally. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I will I look- introduce you. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I'll introduce you. You know, I'll also, I'll, I'll just, I'll make an introduction, uh, but how, oh, how woo, it's nice to see you. Okay, there, now you've had your introduction. Okay. Stop yeah. avoiding the questions. All right. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I, I didn't know when I started working on this film. Um, mm-hmm. I started in early February. Um, mm-hmm. But at that time, a lot of things was uncertain, right? And that time, it wasn't very obvious it was going to become a global pandemic, first of all. Secondly, nobody knew at that time how long the lockdown of Wuhan would last. Uh, you know, and the very beginning, I wanted to make a film more like an investigative piece to figure out what happened, what kind of decision led to the chaos in Wuhan that ended up in, uh, you know, as a lockdown. Um, as I was started editing, I started editing in April. And at that time, it kind of became clear to me, it was already a pandemic, it was officially declared as a pandemic. Uh, I knew it would last for a long time, but God knows how long. So I knew I probably would be able to finish the film before the pandemic would be over. Um, Still, I was hoping I would be able to finish the film by hopefully by December, um, right around now. So premiere the film early next year. But then in July, I think by July, by early July, it was already pretty obvious. There's not much I could change about the story in terms of with the new direction we were you know, following. And once we submitted a cut to Tiff, to Tom Powers, and, and that time it was just like, not much we could change. Why not? If, if Tom would take it, we would premiere it. So that's what ended up happening. Well, did it play, has it played in China? No, it hasn't. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Not yet. We've been out of respect for one of the co-director. One of the co-director wanted to remain anonymous. Um, right. Uh, so but is he based in China or she? It, uh, it, he's based in Wuhan. He's actually a state-owned yeah. you know, news reporter, uh, photojournalist. And when we started collaborating, he wasn't sure where I was taking the film uh, because I'm the one in New York editing. He and the other co-director, they actually didn't know each other. I mean, they were filming independently. So I talked to them and said, why don't we pull all the footage together? We'll make a feature film together, um, the three of us together. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wasn't sure where I would take the film. And the secondly, um, even after I, you know, I talked to him repetitively, I was like, I, right now, I don't want to make any political commentary at all. I wanted to make a universal human story about how people trying to help each other to survive the pandemic. He was still worried in the sense um, that, uh, you know, you never know whether there's some censors might disprove of the shots and the scenes. And also more importantly, uh, there's a very ultra nationalistic internet users in China who has basically been calling out and, uh, you know, bashing and, and anyone who dares to criticize the government anyway. So he's afraid that those people will latch onto this film as something that's portraying China in a, you know, negative light or portraying too much on the tragedy or we as a filmmaker are trying to benefit from, from, from this immense tragedy. So he's like, just, you know, don't 
don't don't don't use my name. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I from the let's let people know. I mean, what we're looking at is a period of weeks in a specific Wuhan hospital. That yeah, is seventy six days in the Wuhan. Seventy six days. I, I I'm getting the idea that maybe that's that's why you called the film seventy six days. But um, uh, I wasn't positive if this was the lockdown period. It was. It was. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, when you look at the hospital's response, and it starts relatively early in that time period, of course, but uh, other than at the very beginning when you feel when you're shooting a gr- large group of people who are really kind of uh, panicking and trying to get att- medical attention, and they're there's a scene that the, you know, like literally people trying to, you know, storm the gates in a sense, like get in there to get help for themselves or their loved ones. And, but um, other than that, the, the, the incredible, res- uh, the setup there, the, 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 everybody's in the, all the medical professionals in their gear, the, the teams that are cleaning the hospital, the, 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 uh, the, the response to all the patients' needs, um, in, in, despite this incredible, overwhelming circumstance, is, is so impressive. And I just think, if this is a sample of how the city is responding to, to it, it's no wonder they were able to at least, you know, <laughs> handle this enormous crisis and come out of it and uh, lift the lockdown after 76 days, it's, it's really kind of remarkable. Now, I don't know all of the, the downside of what people's human rights and freedoms were that were infringed upon. I'm, I'm assuming there are some. Uh, so the, I guess the question is, what was your sense, uh, response to what I'm, what I'm seeing in my narrow perspective through your, your lens? Is am I am, is the greater story? Whereas I write in my interpretation, or you know, I, yeah. we, do you have like a, a, a dem- like an entire population that refuses to participate, or you know, a range of of responses to the uh, pandemic? I mean, what what? It, it's always a struggle for any filmmaker, right, to to tell a story about a, any particular event because sure. it's really limited by the footage you have access to, first of all, and secondly, your creative intention because there are so many ways to interpret any given phenomena. Um, the as you were saying in the early um, early part of uh, the beginning of seventy six days, yes, there are two scenes about absolute horror, panic. Um, the, the patients wanted to get in, inside of the hospital. Um, but uh, after those workers, even though they were exhausted, they were kind of like having the situation under control. They were actively caring for, the, um, for their patients. Um, I, I don't, in some ways, I feel that's an accurate depiction of at least the what I will call it the emotional journey of the lockdown, which is that the entire population in that city was, you know, really under distress and there were a lot of fear going around. But then as we, you know, the government sent a lot of doctors, which was briefly talked, talked about in the film, to support Wuhan, the situation was put under control. So, and- oh, so the government was sending in uh, medical 
professionals from outside Wuhan to That's deal right. with the, with right. deal with the the pop. All, uh, yeah, that, that, I miss that. I guess, um, but that's that makes sense. Yeah, and also there's PPE being shipped all over, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, back in February, March, even like overseas Chinese, we collecting like the mask, buying them in here and elsewhere, send them back to China to alleviate the PPE shortage situation in Wuhan. So yes, all of that was not. None of that was included. The backstory was included in the film. So because. That's partly because of creative like intentions. Like, there's so much backstories of the beat by beat changes during the lockdown. Um, you know, for me, after I experimented with using news clips and social media video, try to build that, I feel that kind of distracted the viewers from looking at the footage uh, my co-director shot. The really powerful, raw, emotional footage. So in the end, I opted not to tell. A beat by beat, uh, what happened during those seventy six? In months. other words, let's focus on the chronology side of it aspect. Yeah, that's that overly structured approach. You decided to go more verite. Yeah, and just which is really powerful. I have to very effective. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, but going back to the the point is that there there's the first few days of the lockdown was absolute chaos absolute chaos the, the, okay. we're like in the very beginning there were only three hospitals allowed to accept pneumonia patients covid patients right and those three were completely swamped and uh you, and but then i mean in the end i debated whether to include some social media clip people shot on their phones of those hospital three hospitals in the early day, the, the first few days to incorporate at the beginning of the film or not. But then in the end, I decided not to because in terms of emotional impact, the first two scenes of the film already can give viewers the impression that there's a, it's very harrowing you know, to be sick at the beginning of this lockdown. So I opted not to include that to tell the very beginning of this lockdown. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's enlightening. Uh, I, I do want to talk about like, you know, uh, how you were able, how your, I guess it was the, your co-director who shot in the hospital. Where, where were you? I was in New York. I was oh, in so New- you were, you were remotely watch and you would, he would, you would, uh, he would post the footage for you to to look at on it like near daily basis. Is that how it worked or? Yes. So those two, my two co-directors, they didn't know each other. I think right now they still haven't met each other. (laughs) We're filming independently at uh, um, four different hospitals. And uh, so I reached out to filmmakers on the ground. I also reached out to journalists in, you know, uh, on the ground in Wuhan. I wanted to find collaborators. And then as soon as I found my, these two uh, co-directors, I was like, wow, it was really powerful because by that time, I had read so much about what's, what was happening on the ground in Wuhan, but it's all like words, right? And even though you're, and also I've, saw, I've seen some phone videos posted online, but they were very short. But with my two co-directors, they really took me onto the front line, face-to-face with the patients and medical workers. So, so it was really, truly powerful. So I, I, just, I, I you know, basically asked to collaborate with them and then they were uploading their footage they were using cloud services in China as a backup solution. As they finish shoot, they will, you know, back up their footage onto the cloud and they share their logging mm-hmm. with me. I, you know, I was able to download them in New York 
and to look at the footage and have discussion with them. But most of the decisions, to be honest, were made by them on the ground because it was so chaotic. Like we would be talking, this character might be interesting, but the next day the character might be transferred to a different hospital or my, you know, uh, yeah, pa- a lot of moving pass parts. away, right? It's, it's hard, it's hard to, to track the traditional main character, you know, quote unquote main character for a typical documentary. Well, I want to talk about one aspect. It's a, I have had, I, both my parents had COVID. They oh, were both I'm in facilities. My dad died. So, you know, I mean, he, I think he might've died anyway in April. He, he passed away in a facility, in a hospital in Long Island. He had COVID. Uh, he, I think he might've died anyway because he was already septic without getting into great detail about his, his medical problems at the end um i watched the film it was very hard to watch oh i, I say I'm that so to people watching to thank you i i thank you I, I i say this not to just to deter people in fact i think it's an it's essential viewing and uh i'm glad i i'm glad because the film is an enormous payoff in, in a number of ways and one way is that the there's so much humanity in the in that hospital under such horrible conditions you know people are wearing so much gear and protective gear and they go through hour. It's what looks like, you know, an hour, <laughs> at least a day of preparing themselves safely, you know, but uh, even so they're connecting and they're touching and trying to comfort. And, you know, it's like not how I think many Westerners like myself perceive the average Chinese. I, I just think we have a lot of mis- misconceptions about, the Chinese people, you know, uh, over the many years that they, but what you see is an incredible amount of compassion and, uh, it was, it was really caught, uh, successfully, I thought in the film. Um, and I think it's so from, you know, I think, I just think that's another component to the film. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm so sorry to hear your story, but, uh, I don't know. What what do you think? I mean, based on your personal experience dealing with your parents going through COVID, what how's that experience different or similar to what you saw? Oh, very similar. It's the, the I'm glad you asked me that exact question because you're helping me kind of articulate what 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 I responded to. They're the same people. You know, again, you don't it doesn't maybe uh, in our daily lives we maybe behave differently, you know, in the way we engage and interact. But when life, it's a life and death situation, people are the same. Yeah, exactly. You're responding from fear and love and and those very basic emotions. We're all the same. We And you can see it, you know, in these people, their family members that are so, you know, terrified. And, um, you know, you have one couple, older couple that are both in the hospital. Yeah. They're in separate rooms. And, you know, the, the wife is so desperate to make sure that her husband's okay. Cause you know, he's only a few yards away, but he could be dying and she may never see him again. Yeah. They were not allowed to see each other. They were not even allowed to meet in the hallway. That's what, how drastic the measures, I guess here in, in the U S hospital, probably the same, same way. Right. I don't, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I will tell you one thing, just because I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, when my dad was, uh, I got a call from my the doctor the, uh, when he was hospitalized. And I uh, he said to me, we don't expect him to make it through the night. And uh, so we will make an exception if you want to come see him. 
now I live at the time I was my son, 16 year old was living with me in down in, in, in the city. I'm, I'm not there right now, but, uh, and I wasn't going to go because I'm, we were, it, you remember the beginning of April, we were all didn't have a lot of facts ex- and we were told to stay home and not go out unless you absolutely had to. And we were kind of scared into, you know, quarantining. It was very effective. So, uh, but the doctors offered this, and then my my son's mother said, "You you need to go because if you don't, you'll regret it." So based on that, I decided I would do it. Now he had not been even diagnosed yet with with COVID, uh, but 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 it, Long Island was the hot spot right then, yep. and that was like the big hotspot. So so I was going into the belly of the beast, and so. I got there, and as I was getting to the reception desk, uh, just for a dramatic flair, a nine-month, you know, a pregnant couple came in that were about to give birth. I that was the only other people. There was otherwise it was like a ghost town that receiving area. It was just me and this young pregnant couple that walked in looking so like, and I just felt, oh my god, that this is otherworldly you know but i got to see my dad and sit with him and he was not conscious but uh i did i was able to get in there and the next day i found out that he to test for and he did by the way he lived another four or five days but okay. he um did have covid you know as i said so i i'm glad i didn't know that that night that i went yeah it, it was so it was it similar was so, yeah but they, yeah no i know I, I appreciate it but I don't, I didn't, the people that were working in the hospital are not nearly, and again, beginning of April. So we're talking about three weeks into, barely three weeks into the pandemic in, in New York. And they were not anywhere near as, uh, I don't know what you call it, but in terms of uh, their gear, the, 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 the uh, approach was not nearly as, as uh, uh, extreme. Yeah, because you have to remember this, uh, the, the beginning, some of the early shots were shot in the end of January, beginning right. of February. January and that time, nobody knew how transmissible the virus was. So people basically, I want to see any, you know, any way the air can go touch your skin. So that's how fearful people were in the very beginning. You know? Yeah, no, I, I understand. So you're talking about almost a full two months before we. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's be, gotcha. be, before any any science was available. I was talking to a friend of mine who also grew up in China, and grew up around hospitals. She was telling me, um, in China, all you hear about hospital um, is this kind of big tension because the China's healthcare system uh, is even worse than what we have here in terms of there's a lot of conflict between doctors and patients. So she was really surprised to see how you know, patients and medical workers rely on each other um, to survive this pandemic. And yeah, that got me thinking too. I I think what you said earlier is like in this kind of life and here in the U.S. as well, right? We complain about our medical system, about hospitals all the time. But in times of life and death, I think it's kind of surprising. It's kind of heartwarming for me as well because I was in New York when the lockdown happened to see how we really try to support each other, how the people every, every day at 7 p.m. ban the pods and support our medical workers. That was heartwarming that institutions like this, we can rise up and help each other. You were in New York, but you had been planning a trip with your family 
That was in January. So January. Was, yeah. With so, your husband and your two kids? Yeah, that's right. To so, Shanghai. To Shanghai for Chinese New Year. So we were supposed to fly on January 23rd. So 24 hours before the flight, we learned about this lockdown. And we were freaking out. We was like, what does, what does that lockdown mean? Does it mean they were they have conf- pretty confident they can control this? So that's why they locked this down? Or they took completely lost control. They were in a panic boat. That's why they were locking it down. But in the end, I just flew. I canceled a ticket for my partner and my, our two kids. And I flew back to China by myself on 23rd. And it was really eerie experience to fly back to Shanghai, see a city of 21 million people, completely deserted, nobody on the street during China's busiest family holiday. So, but even at that time, I was kind of in denial. I was like, oh, this is kind of intriguing and strange. It didn't register as super real to me. I think I only felt this pandemic was real when he hit New York, when I saw it second time around, when I feel like Mm. the same story that happened in Wuhan were happening in New York all over again. That's when it kind of hit me that COVID-19 was real. You got to spend time with your parents. They were both, uh, this is sort of a side note, but they were both had just had cancer surgery, surgeries related to their cancer. That's right. That's right. So it was really heartbreaking not being able to bring our kids back to see them during Chinese New Year, because I honestly don't know how soon they will be able to see them, if ever, again. How are they Um, doing? They're doing okay. I mean, the strange thing is that right now, like back in February, everybody wanted to get out of China, right, (laughs) to go somewhere else. But now people wanted to get back to China because life there has returned to at least more than half normal. The movie theaters are open, bars and restaurants are open. Uh, people want to get back in, and it's hard yeah. to get back in right now. Yeah, but right. my parents are okay. They are really counting days uh, when they can see their grandkids again. Mm. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure of it. Uh, uh, the, you were talking to Hao Wu, who is one of the three co-directors, right, of, of 76 Days, a documentary. It's coming out. Uh, it, w- tell me about that. Uh, or if Jared, you're on, you can maybe chat me a note there so I get my facts straight about how people will be able to see it in the coming days. Sure, I, I can follow yeah, up with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I know. Sure. I know the details. Oh, you do too. Okay, I'm sorry. So it's coming out on this Friday, December 4th, and mm-hmm. uh, 46 different virtual theaters all over US and Canada. So for anybody who want to buy tickets, go visit 76daysfilm.com. And uh, I think Film Forum is one of the films. Yeah, so New York is theater, Film a virtual theater. Yeah, well, I'm you know big, big, big fan of Film Forum and any art house cinemas, and uh, we won't go down that rabbit hole right now because <laughs> theaters. So the you you know one of the three your co two direct other co directors as you mentioned requests to stay anonymous, and and I I, uh, I I what is the issue? I mean, this documentary shows an incredibly responsible, responsive community of, of medical professionals, of, of, of Chinese people that, of, you know, residents uh, that, that went into the hospital terrified and very sick. And in some cases, some died, but many were close to death and survived and came out. So it um, came out. Okay. Uh, were and, and were released, you know, were gr- so grateful 
there's no negative light on China here, unless it just goes to the broader yep. politicization of of COVID, right? I think it's and yeah, that China's it, blamed for it. Yeah, uh, you you're actually spot on. I think right now there's a there's in general a, a fear of uh, sticking out and t- you know talk about this because the U.S. And it's not just U.S. China, right? There's Australia, China as well. There's a lot of finger pointing going on, right? Uh, in terms of, uh, um, um, you know, a lot of Western countries trying to blame China, um, and China has become increasingly defensive, aggressively defensive, um, and trying to control the narratives coming out of uh, out of China about its COVID response. So before we premiered the film at TIFF in September, uh, we honestly, because we were like cutting the film in secret. We didn't tell anyone about this. Tom Powers and Tiff is one of the fifth people who knew about this, the film's existence, pretty much. We didn't tell anyone. We didn't have any funding when we, um, when we finished, um, you know, uh, we only got some funding once we tried to finish the post-production, the grading or whatever. Before we picture lock, we didn't have any funding. Um, at that time, we honestly didn't know how audiences or the world will perceive this film. And my anonymous co-director, um, they, it just, he's like, he worked in the state-owned newspaper all his life. You know, he's afraid of any potential backlash, negative so, impact that might affect his job, his livelihood, sure. right? So he's like, you know, um, just just don't, I mean, I keep on telling him, I, I like you, I was like, I'm not, I don't see any political, you know, implica- implication here, but, uh, he really wants to be cautious. Um, and right now, especially in our social media age, any shots, any image, any words, oh, yeah. taking out of context can start, in China, Twitter is spam, right? But there's social media storm. And, you know, he just doesn't want anything like that. Understood. Uh, what was the nature of getting permission though and allowing them, did they understand that you were making a documentary? Those who approved your team shooting, you're embedded in that emergency. Well, the whole hospital was an emergency room, right? Yeah. So I, the, the government definitely controlled access to the hospital during the lockdown. Only medical workers, patients, reporters, and state-sanctioned reporters. TV crew could go in. Um, but luckily, my both my, not luckily, I think both my co-directors, they are reporters. So that's how they can show the reporter's okay. badge and just say, I'm here doing this and this. Um, can I get in? It's really up to, at, at least in the very beginning, it's up to the hospital, you know, the hospital chief to make a decision to whether to allow a reporter to come in or not. Um, yeah. Once they're allowed in, they could pretty much, if they are willing to put on the PPE, the equipment, spend all that time to go inside the contamination zone, they have a lot of freedom because it was chaotic, especially in the beginning. Nobody had time to watch over their shoulders in terms of you telling them you can't do this, you cannot, you cannot do that. So uh, yeah, so the it, it was it was kind of like yeah, they know I, who they are, so it's I, not I, like they're doing anything subversive. And I guess because, you know, these are not people that are running with gurneys down lobbies. I mean, most uh, the patients that are suffering from COVID-19 are essentially laying in bed yeah. and they're on ventilators. I mean, yeah. they're not being moved around generally. So maybe the circumstances were you're not going to you're going to be not as much in the way. In yeah. this. 
maybe. Yeah. So maybe yeah. it wasn't such a difficult thing. But uh, again, it, it's very effective. Um, and I'm grateful for uh, the uh, Susan Orgid folks <laughs> for letting me see it. And again, Friday, December 4th. 4th? Friday, December 4th, it'll become available at many art house uh, virtual cinemas. And I'm going to really urge everyone to to uh, purchase their ticket and watch it this weekend. You know, and uh, uh, it just, it's great to see, yeah, such a, just a, a, a film that gives us a real insight. It's, it's an amazing document, you know. It's a gift because it lets us see the, our, you know, Chinese brothers and sisters, uh, you know, dealing with this crisis, uh, just having the exact same feelings and responses that we do right here. It's important. Thank you. Um, you know, because, um, you know, the messages we're getting have been very critical. Yeah, I, I think I think that's one of the reasons I really want to get away from it political commentary in this film right. because we're still living through this pandemic whether each con- either country or any country their response to the covid uh, covid pandemic whether it's right or wrong or 80 90% right it's mm-hmm. hard it's too soon for us to to draw any firm conclusion but what i wanted to highlight is yeah it's uh, how common our experiences are across national boundary, across cultures, across different political system, how, yeah, how similar we are. I, I feel like for us, as we're dealing with more and more global problems like this, and also like global warming, we, we, we yeah, I, I, I think the only way for us to, as a human race to move forward is to be able to seek out more commonality rather than differences and in combating um, yeah, all these um, threats yeah, to our lives. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening. I I know I <laughs> spoke talked a lot, but uh, yeah. um, it was uh, nice to bring you on. I hope we can do it again. Yeah, next time I really want to learn more about your story. Actually, I found that anytime. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm able to talk about it now and not actually start weeping because it was very I was very raw. Yeah. Uh, for the quite a while, you know, talking about those days, but uh, um, yeah, but, yeah. My uh, my grandpa passed away during COVID, not during the in China, not in Wuhan, but it was there was there there was a period period of time he had late stage cancer. We couldn't even get him a bed, hospital bed, even though yeah, it's oh. not in Wuhan, because all the hospital beds right. in China were reserved for COVID patients. And he was in suffering so much pain. We couldn't even get him in the side of hospital. But then I, was, I, I knew a volunteer in Wuhan who called some other volunteer in Chengdu where my hometown is. And that volunteer in Chengdu helped connect our family to a community hospital somewhere. And that's how my grandpa was, uh, was able to you know, get, 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 at least get some morphine. So I, I feel right. like... Yeah, and the and the very beginning of this pandemic, I was kind of be disillusioned with everything that's going on. So angry, so bitter, and but then you know, once you hear about these little stories and how how people really went out of their way to help each other, so I think you know, like your personal experience, my own personal experience, kind of shaped my perception of this whole COVID response and how and shaped how I approach this film and how to tell the story. 
um, again, thank you. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch and, you know, have a part two at some point. Okay. Definitely. Take care of them. All right. You too. Thanks. Planters, a dark comedy written, directed, and starring and crewed by Alexander Kotcheff, the daughter, I might add, of Ted Kotcheff, who was on one of the first episodes of Film Wax Ray very early on. A film from the longtime friends and directing duo was planned to roll out on digital uh, and on demand on December 8th. So, as I mentioned, the film is available on streaming platforms. The Planters follows Martha Plant played by Alexander Kotcheff, an awkward telemarketer who's down and out, sucking at her job and grieving her recently deceased parents when she finds unlikely friendship in Sadie Mayflower, played by Hannah Leader, a bubbly vagrant with multiple personalities. Martha discovers having three friends in one may be more than she bargained for. The film's cast is rounded out by New York theater actor Phil Parolisi and cinema veteran Pepe Serna in supporting roles. You'll enjoy the film. We get into the, the into the nitty gritty. I have a, something of a connection with both Hannah and Alex, which we talk about at the beginning. Again, if you prefer, you can pop over to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio and watch this conversation since we, we recorded it over Zoom as a video. So either way, enjoy this conversation with the Planters team. Alexander Kotcheff and Hannah Leader here on Filmwax Radio. I'm Martha Plant. I bury treasure for the lucky person who gets to it first. Every time, without a doubt, they compensate me in cash. We never meet, but we both win. Eureka! It's the highlight of my day. What the hell? Today, I had my first lunch guest. Are those your grandparents? They're my parents. You have your mom's cheeks. I'm adopted. Oh. I was left in a trash can. She's very weird. I saw air conditioning units. That sounds like fun. Throw yourself on the cliff. It's not. Whatever happens out here is between you and me. I like it. You have different people living inside of you. I'm Angie. Where's Sadie? Who's Sadie? Sadie leaves when she's feeling bad. I think I'm receiving information. I think you're hallucinating. Richard? Martha? Do you like his butt? He's a nice butt. Are you friends? We're best friends. Do you have an air conditioner? I kind of hate myself now. I hate myself too. What? Well, maybe they're new to the process. I doubt it. Maybe they're confused. I know I am. 7.30 a.m. breakfast, 8 a.m. departure. Why would someone want to sabotage my business? Hey, Zeus! We need weapons. We have a shovel. You look good. I'm going to admit it. The heat is real. Wow, that was good timing. Hello, ladies. Yeah. We came on exactly at the right time. 
Apparently, that was all too well synchronized. <laughs> that's how we. That's how we operate. Well, you both have much nicer backgrounds. I ordered new curtains just for so I could be a little bit the, more the visual. Are lovely. Well, behind yeah. it is great, but the light would be like it would be blind. <laughs> I would look. But um, like an angel. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, a devilish angel. Nice to meet you both. Yes, it's lovely nice to meet you too. Thanks for having I, us. I sort of have a some kind of connection to you both, which contributed to my wanting to to do this. Tell us. Oh, you don't know? No. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, Alex- Alexandra. Do you go by Alexandra or Alex? I go by Alexandra, but you know you're kind of special, so I'm going to let you call me Alex if you'd like. No, no. Well, I, now I have to call you Alex. <laughs> Your dad did this podcast right, kind of like right when I started. Wow. So it was very, in fact, it wasn't even a podcast. It was like internet radio. They had re-released, you know, his uh, Wake and Fright in New York. So it was an opportunity to, to do this with, and so I met him. And it has to be about eight, year, eight or nine years ago, right? Wow. Actually, I was at, you mean at the, um, uh, what was the theater that it was playing in before? the uh, i'm guessing film form maybe yeah film not... form. that's exactly that was film form i was there so i don't know if you were at that i wish but i had to see it ahead of time and get the thing done before it started so i could promote it properly like what we're doing i see i see it um yeah. no definitely that's awesome i'm glad you got to speak with him i'm sure yeah. he was very engaging <laughs> He was. It was. It was a such a delight, and he's a sweet guy. And I remember, I felt terrible because I was late. I mean, I had a co-host for that one, and uh, for that interview, and I just I don't know. Remember why? It's so rare. But I was. I, I got there. I was like literally like panting and perspiring. <laughs> it was not pretty, but he was very nice. He's very much nicer than my co-host, who was very annoyed <laughs> that I was like, right, you know, appropriately so. But, okay, Hannah. Uh oh. You're. Thank you for being patient. You work with my ex-wife. <laughs> Who is your ex-wife? <laughs> well, you. You know, you're gonna have to guess. <laughs> uh, no, I, you'll never get. So she is on the morning <gasps> show. I have a guess. Okay. Is her name Karen? It is. <gasps> oh my god! I love Karen. I mean, I'm sure you love her too. <laughs> Well, we you know, we, we have a child who is about, who is probably overhearing this. He's a few feet away from me in his room. But, was, yeah. Um, we were in a scene yesterday together and I was really just there to like, um, like I wasn't even mic'd. <laughs> I'm just sort of atmosphere. So you had to talk louder in your unscripted improvisation. We just had, we just had this incredible conversations that had nothing to do with, you know, because we were kind of in the background of this thing before she goes up to someone. Um, and yeah, she's amazing. I'm a big fan. Yeah, that's, it's a, it was a, quite a coincidence. <laughs> in, in fact, my son is, is going to, uh, you, probably, you might meet him. I don't know how uh, many more episodes you're doing, but um, he's uh, been with me since you started shooting the second season. Uh, but he's going out there in a couple of weeks. So he might, who knows? I mean, likely is that he, they probably won't want people on the set that don't belong there, but 
you never know. Oh, I, well, I hope I get to meet him and I love yeah. that connection. That's super special. I have no, a question. Was... How did you guess that? Um, That's I a good think, question. Well, I, it was really weird because we were just talking yesterday about her children and I, she didn't mention, obviously, um, I just know that she had a husband at some point. And then I was like, I couldn't think of anyone else. And she was at the top of my brain. Right. So I was like, mm, yeah, maybe. Anyway, I, I'm sorry to have co-opted all the beginning time, but it was worth it. It seemed like you, you know, Definitely. enjoyed that. I, enjoy, I enjoyed to share. I enjoyed sharing that. I shared it with your publicists, but uh, Rob <laughs> and Emily, but, oh, well, okay. First of all, I've never heard of, Spending 127 on an independent, 127 days on, a, on an independent film, any long like that just doesn't happen. But then I read more that you guys were your own crew. You're the two co-stars of the film, and you made the film together. You wrote it, and you're is it co-directed by you guys? Yeah. Or does that fall under yeah. just okay? So you've done everything, but you also shoot it. So you're the cinematographer together. You're the right sound you're the everything is that i'm sure you had some assistance but you had to have that but that's why you could do like three months making an independent film well we actually did not have assistance we had each other which was the biggest form of assistance we could have asked for it was just the two of us wow in the desert (laughs) making the film other than the other actors um so yeah i would say we were we could split everything. I mean, there were a couple things that maybe one of us did, but they were more, um, there were tasks sure. that pretty much one person could do. Like Hannah was the DIT. I was the craft services, you know, but other than that, <laughs> we were, we split everything. Well, why, why, why did you choose to do it that way? Choose to do it without a crew? Yeah. Be your own crew. I mean, it's, it's, it's it presents all the more, more additional challenges, right? So. Yes. Um, I think that's a, a a couple pronged answer to that. I think there were a couple reasons that didn't come all at once. But the first was we had written a script that was not this film. And we knew we wanted to direct together. So we we're going to do a short film. And then the wild hair idea came that we would shoot a feature. Why not just make it a feature? And why not just, uh, we you know, do it? on our own we had access to equipment we were working on a documentary at the time oh um Mm -hmm. that is where it started and then um we ended up going out to the desert and uh with 15 pages of a script and um what we found there was that we were able to shoot entirely without a crew uh with the with the right equipment and we also found that we needed to go write a script. <laughs> so we used that footage for a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, I um, see. To be able to jumpstart our actual. kickstart, as it were. Yes, kickstart, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's where it started. I think it started quite innocently and quite delusionally. And, um, and not, we didn't really overthink it. It just sort of was like, let's do this. And then it became a much bigger beast as we mm. actually decided right. to do Right, because I think if you had gone to like uh, experts, let's call them experts, you know, everybody would have said you you can't do that. You can't, you know, you shouldn't do that. You really ought to rethink, you know, all those kinds of responses. But if you throw yourself into it, you know, of course, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, all that. I mean, you just sort of jumped into it and then you committed. 
So yeah. you can do that. Would you recommend it? And I know you have another one, the peach, what is it called? The peach, peach people, peach pits. I'm sorry. Peachville. Peachville. Um, very close. Peachville. Um, so is that, are you doing I, the same thing? Yeah, well, no, no, let, let me answer that one. No, we're okay. not going to be doing Peachville in the same way first. Okay. Um, and just referring back to what you were previously saying, I would, when we were describing it to people, I mean, I, it was really hard for people to imagine what we were doing. Like when we said no crew, it didn't really sink into people that there was nobody behind the camera. You know, there, I, I don't know. I think unless you're there, it's a very odd thing. And you're like, Oh yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Kind of. I mean, I guess people who really know films, they know, uh, no, that's kind of crazy what you're doing. Can you actually do that? But most people didn't really wrap their mind completely around it um, until it was all said and done. Uh, and would I recommend it to people? Uh, make your your film. Make your film. Make it yes. however you can make it. If this right. is how you can make it, go out there and do it. Because honestly, you'll grow old waiting to make your film. Um, and so right. I would say... And this wasn't... I'm sorry, before I forget. This wasn't because there was a pandemic. You shot this before that, right? So obviously, oh, yeah, you were, because- you've been in lots of festivals over the last year. So people listening or watching shouldn't be confused that you didn't have a crew because of health related reasons, but because this is just the way you did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. We started shooting our our concept trail in 2015 and then really got into the main production in 2016. So yeah, this was a while ago. And uh, yeah, I think that we took it as we didn't want to wait around anymore. We didn't want Mm. to have to like grovel for money that we didn't think people would give us. Uh, and we just were going to do it. We didn't realize how hard it would be. And we didn't realize how much time it would take and how much more money we would need. Um, hmm. So I guess if we took all the, if we knew it was going to take two out, two hours, excuse me, two years of our life, um, I think we probably would have second guessed ourselves and probably not done it. So it's good. We didn't know. Now you guys have uh, known each other all your, pretty much all your lives. It sounds like. Yeah, certainly feels that way because we we met at eight uh, in in third grade. Um, I was uh, I had been at the school for two years, but Alexandra was the new kid in class, and I took to her, and she took to me, and um, yeah, it, that was the beginning of of an incredible friendship, yes. and, a, and a lot of madness and and in creating crazy things. Wow. Hannah, were you from a theatrical family or in the arts or as well? Um, my father um, is an actor and a writer. And my um, mother is a director producer. Um, and her father was like a cult B filmmaker. So, oh, yeah? Yes, he, he would, you know. He like took out two mortgages on their house to be able to afford his films. And I would sit on his lap while he'd edit. He, he wrote, directed, produced, edited his films and would, um, oh. would like in his so little it's genetic. It's a gen- genetic. Yeah. Just, issue. <laughs> it is. Although he, they didn't have that opportunity. I don't know. They didn't have that option rather back then to be there, to have not have a crew because, you know, equipment was very different. This is true. Very right. true. There was definitely more than two people, but he would enlist yeah. the whole family. He, you know, like um, I think my mother would script supervise or AD. I don't remember. Or would my 
and my uncle would produce and you know he so amazing grandma would cater the sets so. yeah well he didn't work like for roger corman or anybody did he no <laughs> i just thought i'd guess because uh you know he always of course had those types of b-movie may this may have been before that it sounds like maybe even a little bit before that time in the 60s and 70s but uh well you know people should know that your film called The Planters works also kind of fits with no crew because it's also relatively minimalist in its production and its presentation. There's a lot of open space in terms of dialogue. You know, it's minimalist. And actually, Hannah, you you play three characters. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. (laughs) So you really have a small cast as well as no crew, right? There's, There's no like a lot of heavy duty uh, blocking people and all that type of stuff. It was right. It worked a little bit because of that. Yeah. very. Much. It's not really a question, but I'm just putting it out there. But no, yeah. it's, I mean, that is what it, it was minimum. We wanted to make it minimalistically and we knew, I think we were realistic on, on our, um, our boundaries of what two people can really do as much as we think we can do a lot. We also mm-hmm. realize we can't do everything. So uh, yeah, the minimalist is correct. I I was joke. I made a joking reference to Sadie's character, uh, rather Hannah's character, named Sadie, who is a multiple has multiple personality disorder. If that's still what it's called, I know is we evolve. Yeah, it's evolving culturally. A, we sorry disassociative identity disorder this, is now okay. the the diagnosis. Yes. Yeah, we used to just put them all into a, like, you know, uh, uh, this container called Schizo Nuts before that, probably, you know. Well, so how did you decide you were going to handle being, having that disorder? Or or is it it a disorder? Is that what it's called? It's a a disassociative identity disorder. It is a disorder. Okay, right. So how did you guys want, I mean, you had to obviously think a lot about how you were going to present that, right? Yes. Um, so it wasn't just played for laughs. Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of laughs in it, but. Yeah, we didn't, um, I don't think wanted to intend that um, any of what she was going through mental health wise was funny, Um more just the inner dynamics of their relationship and Martha having to deal with this, um, these different sort of people that enter her life in one body. And um, I don't know, we did, I mean, we did obviously a lot of research on, on the disorder and, um, you know, we were specific as to how we wanted to present it. um, But we really wanted it to feel like um, these were three very different people, although all part of Sadie um, that Martha was having to be in relationship with. Sorry, that's my dog. Um, <laughs> she wants to be involved. Um, I hope I hope the dog yeah. makes an appearance. I'm gonna let Alexandra talk because she is okay, going we crazy. Can, yeah, yeah. Because I, I can also add to my my thoughts as an audience member, uh, having seen it that. The Planters is a comedy, but what I enjoyed about it is is that it was a res- it was a very respectful portrayal of someone who had this disorder. At the same time, there was there is you could live a full you could be a person with a full life 
and a contributing person, like in a relationship and a friendship and in, in society, it's, you know, um, despite that, I mean, you know, so, and there is humor in it in her situation. Yeah. I think that we wanted, um, one of the themes, general themes, I guess, of the film is like this idea of unconditional love, even uh, uh, between strangers that become friends uh, and full acceptance of the other and hopefully living in a world where we can accept the other, right? Because, I mean, uh, Sadie is, (laughs) yeah, she, on the surface, like, whoa, wacko. Um, But when you fully get to know her and, and see her complexities, she's just, she's a human being. And Martha on the surface is not, <laughs> she's, she's weird too. She has her, yeah, yeah, right. maybe there's no identifiable disorder that you're pinning on her, but both these seems, people. What? Yeah, she seems a little depressed. Oh, oh possibly. yeah. Or, oh, yeah. you know, has certainly, a, or some, you know, yeah, there's something going on. Sure. Oh, absolutely depressed. I mean, maybe she wasn't diagnosed by a psychiatrist, but yes, I think so. Um, but both of these people, as flawed as they are, find acceptance in each other and love in the other. So that's that was all we were trying to really do. Right. Yeah. Well, where did you premiere the film? Uh, we premiered at Rain Dance Film Festival in London in fall of 2019. What went into that decision? Was that just because they were the first to grab it? Or uh, go ahead, Hannah. What did you want to ask? Well, I can say we distinct I distinctly recall sitting we're in Palm Springs in that mobile home that we shot and lived in for five months. And I rem- we we love I've always loved Rain Dance and, and a lot of the kind of indie gems that have come out of there and we definitely talked to them about wanting to go there. Um but they they really um, embraced the film, and it felt like the right right place to be. Um, and uh, we we ended up we we weren't even we weren't in in competition, but we won film of the festival there, which was awesome. We snuck up on them. Yeah. What can you say? Our little film just it snuck up on people. Yeah, yeah. and then it seems to have had quite a lot of uh, festival success what was your did you have like a strategy for that or did you just think you know the more the better that um, yeah we had a we had a strategy that's why we waited to find the right festival we we quite frankly we were accepted into other festivals before but we wanted to make sure that our route and our plan was strategic and the best launch pad for people to see the film and that's why we were we just we just loved we loved going from rain dance we went to nashville and then austin we did the south and then we went to afi i think i can't remember then you know we really we did some amazing festivals and we just felt like it was the right path for us yeah what did we premiere at sundance no but was our path our own and just fine and it worked for us yes so it gives hope to those out there. I don't know if your listeners are listening. Like you, you don't have to go to Sundance to get a distributor. Some people at Sundance, Sundance don't get a distributor. So true. Right. Well, great advice. And right. Come up with your own strategy. You know, I, if you can do Sundance, great. But it, like you said, it doesn't guarantee anything at the end of the day. You still have to believe in your, your film and believe there's an audience for it. And just, do your best to connect the two, I guess. Precisely. 
Yeah. So it's called The Planters, which refers to this, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a hobby as much as like kind of a way of life for Martha, your character, Alex, uh, and, and where she buries stolen treasures. Yes. Martha, um, Martha is an introvert. Uh, by day, she's a telemarketer. And then also... Oh, right. The- of course. We almost forgot the air conditioners. <laughs> But yeah, she's a telemarketer for air conditioners, but when she's not doing that, because she hates doing that, um, because she's terrible at it, uh, she does her passion, which is planting uh, stolen goods that she, she, you know, grabs from a local store and, and then she um, buries them in the desert for people to find. So she's, she's the, she's the treasure hunter. Wait, no, excuse me. The treasure barrier for people to hunt. (laughs) It's sort of a MacGuffin, I guess. Do you know the term? MacGuffin. You know I mean? A MacGuffin? Yeah, I've, I've heard of it, but you have to refresh my memory. Well, it's like kind of like a, it's something that you think is going to lead you to a, some sort of answer about the film, the story, uh, but it actually is like kind of a red herring. It really isn't. Yeah. Although it could represent something, I suppose. You know, you could probably interpret it, her, what this, what this, how this reflects on who, who uh, uh, Martha is or what the film is trying to say on some level, but it, it really is not the main point of the film. It isn't, but it is. <laughs> so you have to see it. So uh, I, what say is it becoming available on, on uh, demand? December, December 8th. Oh, very good. That's on coming DMV. right up then. Yeah. So today is uh, the uh, third as we're talking. So actually when people... We'll put this on the YouTube, but we'll wait until it's available so people can go from here to seeing uh, the planters right away. Excellent. Right here, and then we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to make an, a date for Peachville. Are you both going to be acting in that as well again, or that? Yes, that that is the plan. If people who don't mind our faces, we're happy to do it again for them. <laughs> yeah, I think they can tolerate your faces. Um, and you both got great smiles. Alex, I, I, it's nice to see your smile because I don't know that you show a smile in all of the film. Maybe at the end? No, the only one which is a bit, she's, she's drunk. She oh. laughed. So that the, I'm not going to give anything else away. I don't know okay. if I'll... Oh, I do. I know one other place, but I'm not going to say. Yeah. Um, but no, she's not. A, she's not a smiler. That's not how she communicates. She's an inward smiler. You know, there's some people who, yeah, she's an inward. <laughs> the smile is coming from inside. Right. So, like when you see a dog who maybe doesn't have a tail, <laughs> there are some dogs that do, like pugs who don't have tails. So you have to look for other clues to know if they're smiling. Yes. Exactly. I hope I didn't just call you a dog because you're not a dog at all. Okay, anymore. as long as I'm maybe, um, you know, I, I don't like dogs very much. One of the cute ones, like Hannah's dog's cute. As long as I look like Hannah's dog, I'm I, good. I barely caught a glimpse of Hannah's dog. Zelda, do you want Oh, my gosh. Zelda. So it's a... Hi. Is it Zelda. a... She's is it a lab? It's not a lab. What it's is a lab it? mix, yeah. Oh, a lab mix. Goes. <laughs> Off the- <laughs> easy come, easy go. Not interested in being on... Zoom apparently just wants to be next to you. Yeah, um, it was really nice meeting you both. Do we get to everything? Did I leave anything? Is there anything? 
we should Don't mention you and you can mention the other two actors in the film yes um phil paralisi plays richard uh he's just a a, a incredible actor and human um he plays martha's love interest uh he's a uh also grieving the loss of his recently deceased mother and um and finds a, a nice place in a, in a in a group of outcasts with sadie and martha um and there's jesus and jesus played by the great pepe serna uh-huh who was the only actor we cast through, aside from um, Martha's boss, Donald, uh, was the only actor we cast through traditional casting route. Um, We knew Phil for years. Um, He'd done a play with my dad and uh, he's just... He's Stockton. Yeah. Now you do also have, just because there isn't a crew on production, on the product during the production, you still have lots of help, uh, and some of your family members, right, Alex? Like uh, your brother did the music, composed the score, some brother, of the songs, or my brother composed. My brother Thomas Koch, he composed the score, and Hannah's husband. We stayed in the family. Uh, you did, did amazing original songs. Oh, um, okay, right. Yeah, there were some good so, ones. We kept we kept it in the family, and a lot of those voices. If you look at the voiceover parts, there'll be some familiar names there. <laughs> Maybe your father. Yep, my dad, Hannah's dad. Uh, we 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 do a couple ourselves. So yeah. And the animation. Let's not leave out that because that plays. That's a big part of the film too. There is there are certain se- animated or stop animation sequences. Yeah, uh, Sam Barnett was not in the family, but he's in the family now. <laughs> Once you're in, he, yeah. Once you're in. Um, Alexandra found him around the time before we shot. We had done. We were Indie uh, Wires Project of the Month in February 2016, and around that time, Sam had a project called the operator that was on the platform um, in competition. Um, And she was like, Oh my God, we have to work with this guy. He's amazing. And we looked at his stuff and then we uh, stalked him, but not really. We just found him and got him to Skype with us and said, you have to do our film. And um, that, that is how that happened. Uh, But he's, he's, he's also a kind of a one man band, one person band um, just, He's, he's incredible, and, and everything you see in that, he built. Uh, and um, it, was, it was really fun getting to, to be there for that, that process. And we were just, just there clicking the shutter. I'm laughing is really, because we got kind of militantly, like, we have to do everything. Like, we wouldn't let anyone touch anything on set. Like, um, Pepe and Phil wanted to help move a piano. We're like, no, we're doing it. <laughs> ourselves it was like going way extreme um but i'm uh, in terms of the animation <laughs> this was in our kind of extreme mode like we, we need to press the button every i mean sam did everything Let, let's be honest like we told him okay we want the, the characters to move that way and we were there for all the shooting but he did everything we were like sh- um pushing the shutter button you know every time it takes one photo for stop motion animation. yeah because it's stop animation oh the old-fashioned exactly. way yeah we didn't have to do that we just like we went too far we were in a bit of a, a world of our own okay. but yeah we, we were doing that well yeah. it's a fun visu- visually fun film as well as 
everything else. And um, I'm, I'm urging people to go after this to uh, find it on, on streaming on demand. Enjoy The Planters, which is uh, co-written, directed, starred by Alexandra Kotcheff and Hannah Leader. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. For having us. Check and out our film. Well, not you, but the others. The other yous. I'll, the I'll check it out. I'll check it out again. <laughs> Thanks so much. We really we had a lot of fun. Me too. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in only a matter of days with a brand new episode of the podcast. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols.